What up, what up, what up? Back again, another episode of Planet of the Apes podcast here with my good friend Kevin. What up, Kev? Hello, hello. Glad to be here as always. Back again for another week. So we got, uh, this week we just want to talk uh, developing the ultimate athlete. This isn't necessarily a question that I get, um, but it's something we sort of touched on in the episode with Ashley and Kevin, uh, and it's something that kind of every question that I get centers around like if you understood this process I would get a lot less of the basic questions that I get right yeah so that's kind of what we want to get into so let's let's just jump into it Kevin give me give me somewhere to start okay uh, we're gonna start uh, with a 10 year old okay so I feel like they're old enough that they're starting to figure out a little bit more about their bodies it, yeah. you can kind of be like hey we should get into maybe a little bit more sports and have some more options yeah and that's kind of the age they get into sports too hey eh? is that that 10 year old mark i know football starts a lot younger but uh, i think that's when they start to like appreciate and enjoy the sport yes, you know exactly. what i mean when they start to get a little bit more tactical yeah. i guess like you mean? see the six-year-olds out there and they're like they're not even aware that they're at hockey you know, or football like they're just playing you know right um yeah so 10 10 is a common age that i uh, that i get to start with the thing about 10 years old, like, we want to keep in mind, like, that's the fourth grade, right? And that's kind of, it's easier for me to talk about athletes in terms of grades than age. Um, but, like, that's super young, right? So, the youngest athletes we generally take in the gym are 12-year-olds. Um, 10 is, I've, it's not that I've never had a 10 I had one 10-year-old that was a good friend of mine, uh, Hillary. She owns uh, Let Us Eat, uh, or Let Us Nourish, sorry. She's a holistic nutritionist. Um, but her stepson came in. He was 10 years old. But honestly, what he did and what I would do with any 10-year-old was, was like five minutes of some type of movement principle. Like he would learn to squat, or not even squat, he'd learn to hinge at the hips, or he'd learn to tuck his elbows yeah. when he does a pull-up or, or a push-up, you know what I mean? So just the most basic uh, movement, and, and then it'd be 55 minutes of him playing in the gym. Like he'd swing from pull-up bars, he'd climb on boxes and jump down and jump up, yeah. and like that's all he did was just play, and that's, that's why... You know, like we can take 10 year olds, but that's all I'm going to do. And I'm not comfortable um, taking money for that because it's not, it doesn't require any work on my part, right? It's, it's a lot easier. And we can even start this younger than 10 years old. Like this is something parents need to be doing from an early age. And that's encouraging free play. Yeah. Like that's what kids need. Like if I take your 10 year old, I'll charge you money and have them free play for an hour, you know, two, three hours a week. But that's all they're going to do is free play. And un- like no doubt, they'll be freak athletes as they mature. Yeah. Right? But you can do that free play on your own. You know, take your kids to the park. Take your take them for a walk. And, you know, like encourage it. Right? Yeah, exactly. And, and be with them. Don't just say, go play. Go out with them and play. You know, right. encourage that shit. Um, so 10 years old, is it, it's a good age to kind of get them interested in it. But it's also like from 10 to probably like 15 we want training to just strictly be something they enjoy doing yes you know it's it's something they want to come do because eventually it becomes a job yeah you know and you don't want to do it every day so i i as a coach i want them to enjoy as much as they can right so um 10 years is a little young to start like i said we've done it but it's something i'd kind of deter parents from from doing i get the call every once in a while for a 10 year old i try to tell them you know hey wait wait two years just play let them go to the playground right Mm -hmm. play there uh, and, and bring them to me when they're 12. So um, 12 years old, I guess that would say, I'd say that's probably a like grade six, grade seven age. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. So ago. yeah, let's, but we'll, we'll talk grades from now on. But so say like sixth or seventh grade, they come in. Now we can really start some type of formal training. Yeah. So they're going to start at level one, uh, just like every athlete does. And the first day they come in, they're going to learn their cars routine, which is controlled articular rotation. So we do this uh, before our warm up as a way to, sort of tell the body like hey we're about to get athletic like time to warm up time to start paying attention it's also a great uh, diagnostic tool which we've talked about this before yes um it allows us to kind of because i have so many athletes on the go it allows us to check in with each one i can't you know i can't remember that so-and-so's shoulder was bugging them the other day you know but they do their cars and they feel that pinch and then they can tell me oh this is you know this is happening in my shoulder and we can adjust from there um so we do it for that reason and it's also the only way to maintain and improve joint health is through uh, range of, or through movement through a range of motion at its fullest capacity. Yeah. Um, so the cars will help with range of motion to a small extent, but the big reason uh, is maintaining and improving joint health as a diagnostic tool before we start our warm up, um, and as a way to kind of tell the body to, to you know to get ready like we're about to we're about to start. And that all came from uh, uh, Dr. Andre Ospina's uh, FRA system, which which both Zach and Rob at our gym are are certified in. So we're making sure that. You know, they're learning cars from the best of the best, people that can actually teach it, not just someone that saw it on YouTube and, and thought they'd give it a try, right? Yes, so. exactly. So I guess I wanted to slide in talking about um, 
you don't want kids, you want kids to have fun, right? Mm -hmm. At that, at that age. So you're 10 to, uh, you know, that up to 12 years old, right? Yeah. So what would, uh, gymnastics be allowed to be in there? Oh yeah, I mean, for sure. Like any early entry sport, like we're, we're, we're talking gymnastics, Kung Fu, dancing, sports like that. Like generally they'll start at like six years, seven years old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like we talked on previous podcasts about that. There's, there's, there's no adapting to early entry sport because it demands so many different things of you, right? It just exactly. demands all around athleticism. Um, so yeah, those are sports that you, you would start early. I mean, you could really start those at any time. Like I know lots of people that got into it as an adult, you know, got into karate or something yes. and, and really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, you could start those at any age. I would just make sure that the emphasis is on them having fun yeah. at the younger ages, 100%. but I've never heard of that being a problem from the martial arts community. I've never heard of someone putting their kid in martial arts and, you know, being a hockey parent yeah, or a football parent sure. about it. Right. So I don't think it's a huge problem, but yeah, I'm all for and, you know, I'm, I'm all for organized sports as long as the kids at that age are having fun and enjoying what they're doing. Because, like I said, man, I, I work with pros. I work with high-level athletes. And eventually, this is a job. And yeah. there's some days where they don't want to be there. Yeah. It's everybody. It's not just one. There's everyone in my gym has had those days where they're like, man, I don't want to do this today. Of course, they'll do it. They love it. At their core, they love it. You know, but it is a job. Now, this is this is about more than just the game. Mm -hmm. Right, we're talking about scholarships. We're talking about paychecks. We're talking about endorsements. Um, so I really emphasize having fun at the younger ages. You know, I, th I think that's big. Yeah, and I, I think um, the one thing that is never mind uh, early specialization, the one thing that can come up is burnout. And I think that's yeah uh, can, should be considered a career-ending injury in a sense. Yeah. Like, if you get your kid into the sport at, you know, 10 years old and start putting him in every single camp, like crazy. Of just that one sport, yeah. You're going to find that with fighting, just man. like a major injury, your kid could be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, because everyone thinks their kid is going to be Connor McDavid. Yeah. But how many Connor McDavids have we seen? One, you yeah. know? Like, <laughs> it's, your, your kid isn't Connor McDavid. Your kid isn't Odell Beckham. And if, if he is or if she is... That's great. They'll still be great if you let them free play. They'll be even better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, so exactly. Like you're like you, a lot of average people. Like if you're not in the industry of athlete development, underestimate the value of free play because you're really you're letting kids make mistakes and yes. learn how to move in a safe environment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Problem solving. And it's yeah, problem solving. And it's honestly, it's the same thing that we do in the gym. It's I'll coach when coaching is necessary, but a lot of coaching is what you don't say. Yeah. It's what you let the athlete learn on their own, you know, through trial and error. And so I make sure they're safe in that trial, but I'm going to let you, you know, like you're doing your push-ups wrong. Yeah, your, your shoulder's going to be a little sore tomorrow, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to let you feel that a little bit, Yeah. you know? If you're doing deadlifts and your back is rounded over and your head is cranked up and you're like, I'm, we're going to fix that for sure. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Those small little errors where it's like, yeah, you're not as optimal as you could be right now, but you're going to figure that out. Because that's really, that's the best type of learning there is, is trial 100%. and error. So, and that's what pl free play is for a six-year-old, whether they're consciously aware of that or not. And, you know, like, I look at all the best athletes that I've worked with um, over the years, and, and the longest one that I've had, Wes, who was just a freak, like, he played every sport, and when he was a kid, he, he played. He would not stay still. Yeah. You know, like, he just played everywhere. And that, you know, he comes to me, and it's... You know, if it takes someone else 10,000 repetitions to learn a push-up properly, it took him 100. Yeah. You know, like he's, it's a different type of neurological recruitment that they're capable of. You know, a different type of mind-to-muscle connection because that's all they did as a kid was play. Play, so they know exactly how their body moves and yeah. whatnot. Okay, so I guess let's move up from the fourth grade. And you moved up to seventh. Yeah, let's jump into junior high because that's, that's really when training can start to get focused and... You know, we, we can start to teach the life lessons of training and we can start to get a little more serious. Again, still a lot of emphasis on coming to the gym and having fun, right? Yeah. Because the junior high, like we're talking 13 to 15, maybe 16-year-olds, that's still a really young age. Um, and they're still trying to figure out a lot in life, right? So we want it to be a safe place for them to come, be themselves, you know, do some work, burn off some stress. Um, and, and so we, br we bring them in about 12 years old, usually grade 6, grade 7, uh, like I said, first day they come in, start with their cars, then we get into our warm-up. So our warm-up is a, a basically like a mini gymnastics class. We want to take you through every type of movement possible. 
Um, C, can you express that movement, yes or no? Are you stable in that move? Do you have stable positions in that movement? Or are you compensating everywhere? Um, and is any of this, do you feel any of this anywhere? Is something tweaked? Is something bothering you? You know, Can you not do a somersault because your upper back is on lockdown kind yeah. of thing? Um, just really simple, easy, yes or no type questions, right? It's a, it's a lot easier to you know ask to have a young athlete do a somersault and see oh your t-spine is tight that's why you're not doing your somersaults properly versus asking hey how does your upper back feel because honestly a young athlete isn't going to have a clue yeah you know every time i always jokingly ask you know like gavin who's 15 now yeah he's 15 he just got went into grade 10 the baseball kid i'm like how do you feel today for mobility anything bugging you the answer is always no i'm like yeah you're 15 <laughs> dude. nothing ever of course nothing hurts right yeah um so but with that warm-up, I can see, like, yo, Gavin, you're, you know, your Spider-Man push-up's a little off. Is that hip too tight to get your knee up? Is, like, what what's going on kind of thing. So it's a great diagnostic tool. And then from there, uh, with our level ones, the first thing they're going to do is called a technique practice. So we have two lifts for the week, one upper body, one lower body. Um, and this is, actually, this is a new type of program we've actually updated so this is the first time that i'm talking about this okay to the public right so um, Secrets out. Uh -oh. yeah, breaking news right <laughs> alert the president although he might be busy with some other shit right? <laughs> um, but yeah so this is sort of our new approach to level one and it's sort of through it we were able to kind of slow the process and and make it and more of an easy transition from level one to two to three because i think before we were making too big of a jump Okay. You know, so the exceptional athletes were making it, but the less, you know, the, the, the kids that aren't great athletes, but great effort yes. kids weren't succeeding the way I would have liked them to. So I had to step back and realize something had to change. So this is kind of what we came up with. So our level ones now, uh, after the warm up, first movement, like I said, technique practice, one day is upper body, one day is lower body. Um, and it's a, a really simple thing, right? The tech, it might be push ups, it might be pull ups, it might be uh, dips. Uh, goblet squats, box squats, front squats, RDLs, trap bar deadlifts. Um, I never like to load. The, I don't like to load the spine a level one, so there's no uh, back squats or anything. But, you know, goblet squats to a box. I like front squats, but we keep it super light. Like, they never go more than the bar. Yeah. A 25 on each side if it's a high-level, level one kid. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we have that, that technique practice, and all we're looking for in that is 25 quality reps, right? I feel like... You know, most kids are doing three to four sessions a week. Let's say four is, is kind of the average. So if we can get 50 solid reps each week on each lift, yeah. you know, that's going to be 200 a month. That's going to be math that I can't do in my head, but I should be able to do. <laughs> like, we're, we're really, we're making a dent is, yes, the, is the point, exactly. right? 25 reps at a time doesn't seem like a lot in the moment, but when you sit back and consider the long-term development of the athlete, we're really chipping away at that rock. You know what I mean? Exactly. So by the time that we get to level two when they're under a bar with me and I'm going to give them the cues to squat, they're competent because they've done 5,000 reps to get to this point. Yes, you know? exactly. So we can continue that process and move it up with the level two stuff, but we have a, a more solid foundation. Whereas before, I think we were a little too bodybuilder-ish. Okay. And I think we were a little too, I was a little too in the programming, kind of stuck in my way because this was pre-Rob being there from the Athlete Collective who kind of took over the level one stuff, right? So I program it and then he carries it out and trains all the level ones. Uh, which is a great help for me because I love the kids, but like training kids was not my dream. It's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so I kind of made that transition to the higher level uh, athletes. And, and Rob loves kids, has three of his own, and was really passionate about taking over the level one side. Um, so I do the programming. He does the training. Prior to that, I programmed and trained level ones. And it really came down to the fact that I can only be in one place at one time. Yeah. So the level one training had to become somewhat repetitive and redundant so that these kids knew what they were doing yes. because I couldn't be there as much as a level one needs you to be there. Yes, exactly. Um, so I think I, I credit that, that shift in our paradigm to, to Rob coming through for sure. Definitely a huge stress off my shoulders and gave us a chance to step back and examine together and look at, you know, the things that we're lacking, like our ability to land, our ability to take off from a good position, yeah. um, our, our pulling strength, our, you know, all these weaknesses that we're able to identify when we step back, because now we have two sets of coaches' eyes on the level ones, right? And I'm able to just focus on programming through feedback from Rob. So it, I think it's a lot more successful in that sense. Yes. 
I keep getting off track. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I mean, I feel like all this information is everything that everyone wants. This is the this is the first time I've ever talked about this, so I'm I'm not sure how to frame it. It's kind of all over the place. Um, the previous like the how I would explain the old shit was so rehearsed because I've explained it so much. Yeah. Um, but we'll get there with this, I'm sure, and then I'll find out this sucks and we'll do something. New with it. <laughs> <clears throat> That's how it goes. I always say if I had to see my programming from five years ago, I'd fucking shit my pants. <laughs> like, holy shit, did I suck. You know? We get better every every day as coaches, I think we take a step in yes. the right direction. You know, so we're constantly evolving. So looking back, even at programming from two years ago, one year ago, I would probably fucking vomit. <laughs> um, but I think that's a testament to our our staff that we have, like yeah. constantly looking to get better. Uh, and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. So anyway, technique practice. After the technique practice, we have two secondary movements. Um, and these are movements that are compound movements and are going to build on whatever the technique practice was. So say the technique practice was goblet squats. We're doing something, some type of compound movement uh, for the posterior chain, so maybe like an RDL. Um, yep. And then some type of, you know, either some type of abduction exercise, like a, like a hip circle side shuffle or a banded abduction. Yep. Um, or, you know, a glute bridge with the, with the hip circle on, abducting the knees. Uh, will you hold that glute bridge static? Um, or we're going to do some type of other posterior chain exercise like a uh, uh, glute hams, inverse curls, band leg curls, um, you know, anything like that. Every once in a while, we, we'll change that out for some type of anterior chain dominant exercise. Um, I would say probably in a three-week phase, I'd say two of the weeks are all posterior chain yeah. driven um, secondary exercises. And then that third week, we get one anterior chain dominant exercise in there so it might be like a step up might be uh like a, a sissy squat or not a sissy squat but what's the spanish squat that's okay, the, yeah. that's what i'm looking for with the band around the knees um it might be reverse lunges uh I, i'm not a huge fan of forward lunges with weight i feel like it puts a lot of strain on the knee i think it's a lot less strain on the knee to do reverse lunges um bulgarian split squats i'm a big fan of um and yeah, so that, I mean, there's other anterior chain exercises, but honestly, I would say 80% of our uh, secondary and accessory exercises are driven towards um, the posterior chain for yes. the lower body. Gotcha. Um, and why do you, uh, why would you focus more on the posterior chain than the anterior chain, I guess? I mean, that really is, the, that's really the key to everything you want to be as an athlete. You want to be faster, it's in your posterior chain. You want to yeah. be more injury resilient, it's in your posterior chain. You want to be, you know, jump higher, it's in your posterior chain, right? Okay. It's... And it, they all have different reasons, but like the hamstrings and the glutes and the lower back are so vital to athletic ability yes. and to athletic development. And we see, we're all naturally born anterior dominant. JL Holdsworth, I just watched a talk from Swiss last year where, or not JL Holdsworth, sorry, uh, Matt Wenning uh, gave this, this talk in his deadlift uh, seminar. Um, it talks about how we're, an, we're born anterior dominant, right? Like okay. from a young age, like babies can, you know, sit up, and, but it's hard to lift their head up off the ground or get up off their stomach, right? So, yeah. um, and, and just the way babies squat is a, it's a beautiful execution of a squat, but it's a quad dominant squat with the knees coming over the toes, the toes right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so developing the posterior chain is going to help, uh, the hamstrings are going to help stabilize the knee. The low back is going to help keep the hamstrings healthy. So you're not pulling hamstrings. Yeah. Um, you're going to jump higher because those hamstrings are going to essentially decelerate you faster so that you have more power Coming coming up. up. Yeah. Right. Um, it's just, it's every, it's literally the answer to every question you have about why you're not the best athlete possible because your posterior chain is probably weak. Okay. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, it's actually something Louis talks about. He sent, uh, Laura Dodd. I believe she was the second female powerlifter in Westside after Louis's wife. Don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. But she was a female powerlifter at Westside. Um, and she went to Ohio State University, which is just down the road, and they never call Louis, which I think is fucking amazing. Crazy to me. <laughs> Absolutely insane. But, but uh, So she goes to their uh, physiology lab, and they did a test to see her ratio of uh, quadricep to hamstring. And her she was 51% hamstring, 49% quadricep. Um, okay. Or no, excuse me, she was 6% hamstring, 40% uh, quadricep, and they were blown away because the most they'd ever seen before was 51-49 hamstring to quad. Okay. Um, so they were blown away that someone could develop the posterior chain in that way, and Louis was literally like, come to my gym, I have 20 more athletes just like this. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, it's, it's, it's just the ultimate athlete. Think of, like, who's, who's the best athlete in the world right now, in your opinion? Is it LeBron? Um, I feel like it's LeBron James or, you know, like a Cam Newton. Like these Cam guys, Newton. you can't. What do these guys have in common? Big, big asses, 
giant hamstrings, yeah. big calves, strong, strong lower backs. Yes. Right? Like these guys are monsters because their posterior chain is so strong. Can you imagine LeBron without hamstrings or without an ass? Yeah. It's not going to work, it, right? Yeah, He's not the dominant sense. force. Now you're now you have Yao Ming. You know yeah, I mean? exactly. You have like a he's a, he's obviously stature large, but not the best yeah. athlete yeah, in the he's world. Yeah, not moving well. Yeah. You know? Um. So yeah, focus on the posterior chain. We got off track on the secondary. Okay, that's all right. We're coming back. <laughs> we're bringing it around. We're bringing it up. <laughs> we're still talking level one. Buckle in. We got three <laughs> levels. <laughs> um. So after secondaries, we get into accessory. Now accessory. Honestly, to, to be honest with you, I'm not sure what the defining thing between secondaries and accessories are. I don't know what makes what that, yes. um, because I could just as easily put a glute ham raise into accessories. I guess I'm using the accessories to build strength to drive the secondaries. Really, if we just called them all accessories, that's fine. I use the term secondary because when we get to level two and level three, that becomes more defined. Yes. Um, and we use our triphasic uh, emphasis. Em- Emphasis is emphasize, 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 <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, we use that with level one as well, but it's it's more important in the in the later levels, um, and that's what defines a secondary from an accessory. Then, um, but yeah, anyway. So the level, the accessories that we do uh, is a good chance to also work in our agility training through our speed drill or our chase drill. Sorry, in the summer. Uh, and then we work our GPP, push that through the roof in the winter because obviously we can't go in the parking lot and chase each other. Uh, so that's when we're doing our 200 leg curls with the ankle weights. We're doing our five-minute belt squat walks, our, all this other stuff. Really, the lower-level stuff, the, the high rep band work, um, all that stuff that I think we can do a better job using that to bridge the gap from level one to level two, and we'll talk about that when we get to level two. Okay. Um, but then after that, we have, for our off-season guys, we do three GPP exercises. For our in-season guys, it's two lighter exercises. Um, but that's where really where Rob gets to take the rein and kind of have fun with it. Yeah. Um, I'll program the technique. I'll program secondary accessories. And then it's just GPP. And he gets to, you know, he can sense when the athletes want some competition and make a competition out of it. He can yeah. sense when they need recovery and, and pull it back and have it like an FRA session with, or a FRC session with them. Um and he, I think he does a really good job of that coming from a CrossFit background. That's sort of his, his area, you know, that work capacity stuff. Um, although I think he does a good job kind of dialing back the CrossFit and making it more athlete centered. Um, and, and that's, I mean, like I said, I couldn't, I'm, I can't thank Rob enough for the help that he is around the gym with that. Um, so he, he'll, he'll run that. He chooses the GPP. He does the mobility work with them uh, and they're out the door. So that's our, that's a level one day. Um, so you come in when you're 12 years old, that's what your first day is going to look like. And that's what every day is going to look like until you're bumped up to level two. Yeah. So I guess we're going to jump ahead in years then. Because my guess is that you're going to probably be here for at least a year. You yeah. Know, maybe two, depending on It's going to take time. Maybe. And I always tell my athletes, I have no set parameters for how long you're going to be each level. It's an athlete-to-athlete basis. Yeah. So, like, if LeBron James walks in my gym right now, he's level one. But he might only be level one for 20 minutes, you know. <laughs> but he's, he's level one. You know, you got to pay your dues. <laughs> but uh, Man, it's 20 minutes. Yeah. No, but seriously, there's some kid, like, I like to see at least uh, 15 years old before we bump up to level two. But there's some kids that are, you know, they work hard enough and they're good enough athletes they could do it at 14. So I don't like to have a set age. Yeah. Um, and there's no set time frames for what you'll be level one. You might be level one for six months. You might be level one for six years. It's all about... You know, I have a certain number of like bodyweight exercises, repetitions that I want to see you get down, like like push-ups, pull-ups, dips, uh, bodyweight squat stuff like that. Uh, again, that's different athlete to athlete. Like a fat kid isn't gonna have to do as much as a 110 pound kid, you know, in terms of bodyweight pull-ups and dips and push-ups and stuff. Um, but I, I need to see a certain number to know that you're competent enough to with to to withstand the training volumes and loads that are coming. Yeah. Right. Like McGill talks about, you have to earn the right to be trainable. Yeah, right? you have to be in shape to be trained, right? Fat people exercise or fat people work out. Athletes train. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, so that's sort of that's that's we want to see. You know, are you able to do these bodyweight exercises for X number of repetitions, whatever it is, based on your athleticism, um, or, or or your goals, position, sport, whatever. Um, and then we want to see: Do you understand stable position? Can you express stable position, and can you maintain stable position under load if all that checks out? Uh, do you have the work capacity to sustain to to survive a level two and a level three workout, which is tough to say, but basically, you know, a, a level two will walk out of a level one workout like nothing happened. You yeah. know what I mean? And a level three wouldn't even be phased by level one. Um, so it's just it's it's something that I can see with my eye. 
you know, yeah. how you're walking around after your session. Are you beat up? Are you all red? Or is your, are your clothes soaked in sweat? You're probably not ready to move up yet. Exactly. You know, if you're still feeling you're jumping around and bouncing around after a workout, yeah, that, that wasn't much for you. We should look at bumping you up kind of thing. Got you. So generally, uh, we're bumping up to level two uh, at about 15 years years of age, but uh, or grade 10-ish in terms of grades. Yes. Grade 9, grade 10. Um, but again, it's a case-by-case basis. Um, so then when we get to level two, now we start introducing compound movements like squat, uh, bench, and deadlift. We start loading the spine with some weight. Still keeping that weight fairly light. We never really go over 135 pounds uh, unless I have like a, a highly qualified, like I know this guy or this girl is good. They can do this 185. You know, it's not a big issue. Yes. Eventually at some point we need to get them under a little bit heavier weight so that they're recruiting more motor units and so that they're, we have to challenge it somehow, you know, like we're, we're using level two to teach the technique of the lift, yeah. but at some point the technique is going to become sound at that lighter weight and we have to push it a little bit to, to see where it's going to break. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's sort of the thought process behind the main movements of level two. We never do like the max effort work you see our level threes do. Like they're not going to hit max singles. They're always sets of five or, or more. Um, but yeah, just really trying to teach that movement competency with that main movement. Got you. Um, I guess when you say you never really have more than 135 pounds on the bar, is that just like uh, bar weight or is that like bands and everything as well? No, level one or level twos don't use bands or chains. They don't use okay. any type of accommodating okay. resistance. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, just because that will distort the bar path. Gotcha. When you're, uh, when you're a capable lifter or capable athlete, um, the bands and chains have great benefits, yes. but if you don't know what you're doing, they really can fuck up your bar path. Okay. Like one of the things I loved about bands was how hard I had to work to hold it in the bar path. Um, because as a geared lifter, your gear is so tight. Sometimes it can pull you out of position, pull you out of the groove yeah. and you really have to fight to maintain that. So I felt the bands had that effect. And I think it's great for athletes because you know, we, as, as, as hard as we try to keep the bands even, sometimes you stand up, one band is 10 pounds heavier than the other, and you have to compensate. you got to figure it out. Yes. Um, and you, you also have to, you know, we talk about, like, the level ones learning how to goblet squat, and we want to see proficient movement in the goblet squat. Well, when we're talking level three, I want to see you hit a cambered bar box squat with an ultra-wide stance, yeah. right? So it, it's, it's the same equation. It's just it's the difference between you know, grade five math and grade 12 math. Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. So now instead of just using load to try to disrupt your position and challenge you now, let's use accommodating resistance as well. Let's make this test harder, you know, so you're, you're taking the same test, but we took your calculator away. Okay. Okay. You know gotcha. what I mean? Yes. Um, that's, that's kind of the thought process behind. I think at every level training is just physical problem solving. And that's what I think sports are physical problem solving. Yeah. I think in sports, it happens like that. Like the problem 100%. has to be solved instantly. I think training, the, the, the moment the problem has to be solved, it's at that speed. But we have so much longer to learn. Like we can expose you to so many quote unquote problems. Yeah. You know what I mean? We have so many different options, so many different. And the more shit we can expose you to, the more prepared you are for, for your sport. Because there is no predicting what's going to happen in sport in terms of biomechanical position, in terms of energy systems. Like, as much as I like to joke about, you know, coaches having kids run 110-yard gassers for all the times you run 110 yards in a play. Yeah. Well, shit, you might have to. Like, it's not the worst idea to touch that corner in preparation. I don't think you should do it all the fucking time. No. Right? But there's nothing wrong with touching that corner once in a while because you don't know what's going to come. Um, and that's what I think our conjugate periodization does such a good job of. Because we're constantly varying exercises, we expose our athletes to so much different stimuli. Whereas someone who, who follows more of a, a, a linear block periodization model, you're only getting six or seven lifts in an 18-week block. Very so true. you're getting really good at those lifts, but those lifts only occur in one plane, in one basic motion, Yeah. right? Sports occur on all planes and every motion. So I think when you take a step back and look at program our programming in the bigger picture from level one to level three, you see that it's just that. It's physical problem solving. Yeah. Um, and it's it's... It really is that simple. I think I'd, I would like to make it sound a lot more complex so that I can take more money. But, like, that's all I'm doing. I'm going to give you something. Here's your task. Here's your load. Complete it in the most efficient, powerful way possible. Yeah. And safest. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's part of it as well. Um, so, yeah. The, focus, the technique practice for level twos, uh, that's going to be um, centered around squat, bench, or deadlift um, with tons of variations, right? So, 
Uh, I don't like to uh, squat with a straight bar for most athletes, although I think it's easiest to learn the squat with the straight bar, so my level twos will use a straight bar. But when they become competent with that, then we're, we're done with straight bars, right? It's duffalo bar in place of a straight bar and then specialty yeah. bars. Um, they'll become competent with a straight bar in the bench first, and then we'll start to introduce uh, multi-grip bars, football bars, uh, Anderson bar, Camber bar, all this different shit. Uh, and generally speaking, the first deadlift I'll teach them is trap bar. They'll actually do a lot of that in level one as well, um, because it's it's a hard movement to fuck up the trap bar deadlift. Even when you don't really know what you're doing, it kind of forces you into quote unquote good position. You know, obviously you can fuck it up. Yeah. Um, it's just it's a safer type of deadlift. Um, so that's where we level ones will see some trap bar deadlifts, and then that's where we start in level two is the trap bar deadlift, yeah. and then we'll transition to the sumo uh, straight bar deadlift, and then a conventional deadlift. Conventional is the last one that I teach because it's the one that we see the most injuries on. Okay, okay. Uh, in terms of, not in my gym, but in in general, right? Yes. I see a lot of the the back injuries happen primarily with conventional deadlifts, and I also think a good portion of the population is not capable of doing a conventional deadlift off the floor in a good position. Okay. And if you can't, you fucking shouldn't. Okay. Right? So teach sumo first because everybody can do a sumo deadlift. Yeah. Because the thing about sumo is you have a lot more play with the feet. You can go ultra wide. You can go more of a narrow sumo like Ed Cohen used to do. Conventional, you're kind of, your feet are touching your shoulder width apart. Those are, you can be in yeah. that range. Yeah. You know, and if you're, if you're a Viking heritage like me, you know, you have that really deep hip socket. It's tough to get down with your feet close together. Yeah. It's fucking impossible for me. I learned that three years into my powerlifting career, three or four years in, and never pulled conventional off the floor again. You know, block pulls, rack pulls, stuff like that. Yes, we need to be strong in that position, but let's do it from the lowest point where we can keep a neutral spine. Um, so that's why the conventional deadlift is the last one I teach with level twos. Um, and if I see that they aren't capable of it, you yeah. know, we'll do some mobility to address it. But if it's not getting better, then guess what? We're not going to fucking conventional deadlift off the floor. Yeah. We're going to pull off blocks, pull out of the rack, stuff like that. And I guess I would ask, like, like, would that be a, like, is there a negative to that? Or are you able to basically supplement that and be like, hey, there's no, there's nothing we can kind of do. A negative to there. not conventional deadlift? Yeah. Like if we have to cut the conventionals yeah. out? Um, no, there's no, so when we're talking squats and deadlifts, wide stance builds close, close, never build wide. So your wide stance sumo deadlift is hitting all the same muscles that the that the conventional deadlift will. Yeah. It'd be a little more lower back uh, in the and hamstrings in the conventional style deadlift, but we're still hitting lower back. That's still a part of it. Yeah. Um, and so the wide stance builds close, close, never builds wide. And this has been proven uh, in university studies, right? So they did EMG tests and proved the only measurable difference uh, between the two was quadricep muscle, or there was no difference in quadricep muscle fiber recruitment. The difference was in uh, hip muscle recruitment. Okay. Right. So what that means is that we're getting the same amount of muscle recruitment through the quad, through everything else in the body, in terms of sumo to conventional, but we're getting more engagement through the hips with the sumo pull. Okay. And so that's why the sumo is going to build a close, but a close won't build a wide. You're getting more bang for your buck when you're out wide. Got you. Okay. Doesn't mean only pull wide. Like we, I want you to be competent in every position. Um, and it also, when I say we cut the conventional pulls, it doesn't mean we cut them completely. Like I said, we're doing them off blocks. We're doing them out of the rack. We're still strong in that position. We also do a ton of good mornings, a ton of RDLs, um, a, a ton of hinge pattern movements with a, with a closer stance, uh, front squats with a closer stance to help build that anterior chain. So no, we're, I, I don't think we're losing anything off it. And even to the point where like, if you're not conventional deadlifting, it's, I don't add anything in for it. Like you're fine. We just yeah. don't do it. Okay, okay. You know, when they're pulling conventional cause they can, you just get up and pull sumo okay. kind of thing. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. I guess that answers that question through and through. So that you, since close doesn't build wide, wide is almost the better way you to go. If yeah, that makes sense. I, I look at everything as a good, better, best scenario, right? So yeah. close to, uh, a conventional close stance deadlift or a close stance squat is good, mm -hmm. you know, but a wide stance squat is better. Yeah, you know, um, but I think have capacity in every every type of stance you can of right course. we also do like split stance good mornings and split stance rdls and stuff right and, yeah and a ton of unilateral work lunges uh, bulgarian split squats step ups uh, single leg elevated squats stuff like that um it just get get as strong as you can in every angle you know that's that's the big thing because like we talked about earlier you don't know what angle the impact is coming from in sports and you don't know what angle you have to exert that force in so the stronger you are all around, even if it's at the expense of your one rep max squat strength or bench strength, yeah, right. The stronger you are all around, the better athlete you're gonna be. Okay, okay. So we go. 
Sweet. So, okay, let's keep moving along. Pick with... it up. Where do we? So, we were talking technique for level twos? Yes, we were. Holy shit, we didn't even we get to really, really... <laughs> <laughs> So, All we right. were talking about, so you would do, uh, I guess, you started getting into deadlift work, which would be in a trap bar. Yeah. yeah and as well as now, straight bar would be sumo. We don't get conventional until yeah. third. Yeah. And so, now we're, uh, so that's our technique practice for level two. So, into secondaries. Um, if we're talking lower body days, our first secondary movement is always going to be a jump. Okay. Um, because we're using that main lift to either on a, for level threes, we're talking now, you know, let's leave that for level three. I'm going to get off track with that. (laughs) Bad Brad. Pull it in. in. Sometimes I get like Louie and I just got to fucking. 1972, I broke my back. Here we go. Okay. So our first uh, secondary movement is going to be a jump to teach that explosive strength. Also, really want to reinforce taking off and landing patterns yes. uh, with this, right? And we use a ton of box jumps to save the force of landing um, because we jump 48 times a week. So that's a lot of impact if you're landing on the ground every time. Yep. On top of the fact that we do 25 squats, you know, 50 squats a week, 50 deadlifts a week, you know, 50 bench presses a week. It's, it's a lot of impact for the body to take. So majority of the time we're landing on the box, although I do like to use... Uh, um, like broad jumps and, and it's just like contrast jumps and vertical jumps landing on the ground to teach that landing position. Yeah. Um, but we also hammer the landing position on the box squat. Here, here, this is a fucking pet peeve of mine. Okay. I'm seeing on Instagram. If the athlete doesn't land on the fucking box, he didn't hit the box jump, motherfucker. <laughs> he can't just put his feet up there and fall off. Okay. Like, oh, that's a... No, you gotta stick the fucking landing. Yeah, have some fucking up. have a spine and have some fucking standards for your gym. Yeah, like you have got to fucking stand on the box. You have to. That's the idea of the box jump. You have to conquer the box. If you don't stand on it, you didn't fucking conquer it. Yeah, you don't get to say that you jumped on a seventy-inch box, motherfucker. You sniffed the top of the seventy-inch <laughs> box. Like congratulations, I would need a ladder to do that. Yeah, but I got some athletes that'll do that soon. Yeah. like that's our next. That's what we're aiming for right now. And we're gonna jump on a seventy-inch box and we're gonna stand, we're gonna stand up there and fucking up. dance on you <laughs> because we actually hit it for real. Yeah, all right. That's. That's what grinds my gears. <laughs> first, first secondary is a jump. <laughs> uh, and then it's something to build the posterior chain again. Th- this part is similar to the level one stuff uh, with the secondaries. The accessories when we start to see a change. Uh, so now we're going after four accessory movements. Generally work capacity based movements. Um, really high rep band work uh, still as it kind of tied into level one. I think we, we visit that in level one so that you're used to it so that when you get to level two and I'm like, okay, hey, 200 press downs with this band, yeah. you don't look at me like, holy shit, what are you talking about? Which is kind of what I've gotten in the past, right? Like, what do you mean 200 rep? Like, you're used to this now. Yeah. Um, so we can really hammer it uh, and, and build that capacity with those exercises. Um, but then we're also just continuing to master bodyweight exercises and continuing to strengthen, strengthen the posterior chain um and, and just continuing to get stronger at all angles right um and then we have after our accessories we're into gpp exercises so for our level twos off season guys and girls will do two uh gpp exercises in season will be one yeah. uh, maybe two really light ones but generally just one uh then body tempering and mobility we don't body temper with level ones obviously okay. yeah. just a, just too small and it's not like it fucking hurts. And we talk about them wanting to enjoy training. Yeah. Like you're going to come to the gym and get tortured. No, <laughs> they don't, they don't need it. Like they, honestly, they mail in the mobility work anyway. Yeah. And it's whatever. They're, they're kids. They're not, they're not going to break. Yeah. You know? Um, I guess I wanted to talk about one thing, uh, shoes when it comes to jumping. I heard that if you take off your shoes, it sometimes helps them develop better landing skills. Um, yeah, for sure. So you definitely are supporting of, maybe taking off your shoes when you jump. Yeah, I'm fine with athletes going barefoot in the gym. Um, I, I want you to have a little experience first. I want okay. you to understand how a gym runs because I don't want you putting your foot somewhere it should. Like, there's a there's an ebb and a flow to gyms, okay. right? And especially a gym like ours. And it doesn't take long to figure it out. But I just, like, the, the protection you get from the shoe will help you from, you know, stubbing your toe on something heavy or, or having, God forbid, something dropped on your foot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so, but once you, once you've kind of been there a month or so, like, yeah, I'm fine with you taking your shoes off. Um, a lot of our higher level athletes love to go shoeless. Just, they feel more athletic and they feel like they're better in tune with their body, which you totally are. Cause your feet is how you program or sorry, how you communicate, uh, with, with the physical environment. Yeah. But yeah, it definitely improves landing technique. It also improves running tech, uh, running technique. 
Because if you have an athlete that loves to heel slam or heel strike and slam their heel into the ground, yeah. uh, they've probably got a running shoe with a big giant cushioned heel. Yeah. And they're allowed, they feel like they're allowed to do that, even though they're still wearing a hole in their kneecap. But take the shoe off and automatically nobody's going to heel strike. Yeah. Because it fucking hurts. Yes, You're not exactly. supposed to run on your heels, right? Yeah. No animal has heels. <laughs> like, show, right. me, show me a cheetah's heels. You as fast as a cheetah? No. So you should fucking run on the ball of your feet. You know exactly. what I mean? I mean, like, the, the, you know, the dogs that got that, like, their heels, basically that, no. That, that dew claw. That toe dew yeah. claw, right? Yeah. That's exactly where it is. Yeah, so, I mean, so, and it works for jumping, too. As soon as we take that shoe off, now you're going to treat your feet almost like a spring. Almost like, think of, like, the reason Oscar Pistorius's legs were the way that, like, that's what your leg is supposed to do. Yeah. Sort of, you know what I mean? Between the foot and the calf. Gotcha. Uh, so you absorb more uh, more naturally, I think. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'm all for barefoot. The only time that I almost require shoes get worn is for squats and deadlifts. Yeah. Just because I like to push the wide stance work. Um, and I, I just, the grip makes me feel better. You got gotcha. a little grip on the bottom of your shoe on the rubber. God forbid a foot slipped on a wide stance squat or something, you know, it'd be fucking gruesome. Yeah. Um, and, and we've had, I've had, you know, not ultra wide stance guys squat without shoes and it's really not a problem. It's just something I kind of fear. It makes me feel more comfortable. Yeah. So I like the shoes when you're squatting and deadlifting. But other than that, yeah, pop your shoes off. Unless your feet really fucking stink, then you might have to go train outside. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, barefoot, barefoot is great. For sure, at okay, any sweet. at any level, and the That's more awesome. you the more you can be barefoot, the better athlete you will be. Okay, confirmed, right there. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and I ain't even gonna justify it, motherfucker. <laughs> I shouldn't have to tell you why letting your foot be a foot, foot. is a good option. Okay, okay. Um, I guess uh, that's also another thing I wanted to talk about shoes. Period. So I guess we I probably should have asked this earlier in our early de- development of our athlete, yeah. but the type of shoe an athlete should wear through that development period. Do you have a preference? Should you should you have a cushy heel if you know how to run properly, yeah. or should it just be flat, closest to simulating the ground? I just got asked about this. At, I was just at the Huskies game, and one of the there was a Wildcat, a few Wildcat players there, but one of them came up and asked me about what what should I wear? Will I lift? I'm always gonna say the shoe should be flat. Yeah. No heel, no elevated heel, uh, unless like if we're talking Olympic lifting, then obviously those shoes are designed to enhance your performance in Olympic lifting, right? Yeah. So. That's fine. I'm on fine with Olympic lifters doing it. What I'm not okay with is athletes wearing Olympic lifting shoes, okay. right? We're kind of putting a Band-Aid on a fucking problem here, right? Why are we so concerned with your ability to squat that we don't give a fuck about your ankle range of motion, yeah. right? Fuck those high-heeled shoes. Let's, adjust, let's address the issue. Let's get you fixed, and let's get you flat, squatting in flat shoes. And listen, you don't have to squat your ass down to your heels. It's fucking bullshit. The idea of squat depth in general is fucking bullshit. It's a made-up... The only place squat depth matters is powerlifting. Yeah. Right? So who gives a fuck if an athlete is two inches above parallel, at parallel, two inches below parallel? You need to be strong at every possible angle. So our athletes will squat five inches above parallel. They'll squat as deep below parallel as they can with a neutral spine. Squat at parallel. Squat two inches above parallel. You know what I mean? Like, there's... We're definitely the. I would say the majority of our squats, eighty to eighty-five percent, are done at parallel. Yeah. Um. Rarely ever lower than that because I just don't fucking, you know, it's it. I guess you get extra points on Instagram for squatting your ass to your heels, but I don't see the point of it. Yeah. Especially when you consider that like you're, you know, you're jumping. If you're gonna jump as high as you can, you're not gonna squat very deep. You know, <laughs> yeah. You're gonna exactly. pop you're gonna your hip backs your and drive on hips your back heels. and drive through, right? Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, fuck your squat. And if you're arguing on the internet about squat depth, get a fucking life. <laughs> go get a hobby. Go do something. Yeah. Who the fuck are you? I had like these powerlifters from my powerlifting past. They like to discuss squat depth, and I'm like instant unfollow. Get the fuck off my page. Stop bothering me. Go yeah. powerlift. We're building athletes. Exactly. <laughs> it's a different thing. It's different. Yeah, and I guess uh, we were talking shoes. Though I gotta get. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so, barefoot as much as you can. Flat shoes. I like Converse. First generation without arch support. If you get a second gen, pull the arch support out. Arch support is making your feet weak. That's a public service announcement. There we go. You do not need arch support. If you have flat feet and you're wearing orthotics, I put something out in my story. It's saved to a highlight on my uh, on my Instagram page. So watch that. Don't just jump out of your orthotics into flat shoes. It's not going to work. You're going to get hurt. Easy transition that happens over months. Um, very slow process. But if you have arches in your feet, get out of your arch supports as quick as you can. Yeah. Make your feet be feet. When you support the arches, the arches become weak. 
right? It's, it's the body's an adaptive organism. It adapts to the stress placed upon it. If it does not have to create a stable arch to be athletic, it will not do it. It'll do everything it can to conserve energy. Yeah. Right? Um, so that's why I'm, a, I'm pro barefoot as much as you can. Never ever flip flops, not on your fucking life, not even for a fucking second. And don't <laughs> at me with questions about flip flops. <laughs> Go to YouTube, type in Kelly Starrett flip flops. Or take my fucking word for it, athletes don't wear flip flops, but I'm sick of explaining it to these troglodytes. Okay. I'm not talking about flip flops anymore. Gotcha. Bare feet, Converse, Reebok minimalist, CrossFit shoes, um, or nothing. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a mil, there's a, a lot more uh, foot specialized, um, uh, you know, uh, I guess biomechanic type people yeah. that are that are making specialized shoes. Check out them. There's a whole bunch of different ones. Yeah, the, the, I liked the Vibrams. I don't know if they still make them. I'm yeah. fine with Vibrams, but I think someone sued them and they went out of business. I feel like you're right. But uh, yeah, well, I think they pr- promised something that I mean they're not going to heal you and they're not the super. Well, what shoe, happened right? is they said this is the healthiest shoe for you to run in, and that's true. But what would happen is these people would take off their cushioned heels and then run twenty five k in a Vibram, <laughs> and they couldn't walk for six weeks, and they're like, these are bad for you. And yeah. no, you fucking moron! It's you can't. Oh my god, it's got to be gradual. Who'd, yeah. who'd have thunk it? You can't <laughs> walk into a gym on your first day, load the bar to 800 pounds, and squat it. It's right. never going to happen. Well, it's, fuck, it, it did happen for Ray Williams. <laughs> it's only going to happen once in the history of humanity. <laughs> and it already happened. Right. You know, but yeah, that's, I, I like the Vibrams. Um, for any information you want on, ha- on having healthy feet, in general for life or for athleticism, there's a page on Instagram called The Foot Collective. Yes. Uh, really, really good page. They're doing a lot of work with the GGs. Were they there when you were there? No, they were not. They're doing a I'm ton so of sad. work with the GGs, <laughs> uh, which is great to see. And that's yeah, a really great page. A ton of good content from them. So give them a follow. Any questions you have about feet, you could stop bothering me about them and ask the foot collective. Exactly. And if you're a football player, go to the GGs. <laughs> uh, Coach Breesy is great there. So uh, check him out. Free plug for the GGs. I don't care where you go, come to my gym. <laughs> there we go. Um, so I guess let's keep moving on. So we're now moving on to a little bit older. We're getting to our level threes. Our level three. Now we're into the fun shit. This is, this is what I work with. This is my primary area of focus. This is what I'm passionate about is the level three training. Um, generally speaking, we're 18 to 19 years old. We're grade, grade 11 to grade 12, you know, for a later bloomer post, you know, maybe the summer after grade 12 kind of thing. Um, but this is where, if you want to do anything with football, we got to be at this level by now. Yeah. Or no, I shouldn't say football. Sorry. If you want to do anything with your sport, sport. we got to yeah. do at this level right now. I specialize in football, so I default to that. Um, but yeah, we, we need to be level three. So this is when we started to introduce dynamic effort and max effort days. Uh, this is when it becomes a lot more West Side Barbell esque, um, and this is when we really we really get to take the leash off and have some fucking fun with training. We really get to see some great athletes do some great things. And it's, I mean, you can feel, I can feel it right now. Like I'm getting fucking pumped up. I, <laughs> I know. Level three shit. I love. Um, so a uh, similar layout to level twos in that we're squatting, benching, deadlifting. We have four training days a week in our off season. Uh, but like I said, we incorporated dynamic and max effort days. So what does that mean? So your dynamic effort day, also known as your speed day. Uh, this is all about building uh, speed strength. So I guess we got to take this a step back further. So we think of strength existing on a continuum. One end of the continuum is no velocity. One end of the continuum is high velocity. And and strength is measured in velocity, not in weight. Um, So when we're talking no velocity, we're talking isometric strength. As we come down that continuum and have that that slow velocity, now we're talking strength speed or maximal strength, right? Your ability to strain against a heavy weight. Keep coming down that continuum to an intermediate velocity. Now we're talking speed strength. This is your rate of force development. Average bar speed here is 0.8 meters per second. This is your ability to move heavy weights fast, but we train with submaximal weights. And then we come down to the other end of the continuum at high velocity. This is your explosive strength. Yeah. So we have four main types of strength existing within that continuum. Between those strengths is a billion other types of strengths that we don't have to talk about. <laughs> um, but we think, think of those four main strengths as gears in your car. Right, so if we were to take out first and second gear, your car is not going to work very well. Yeah. So we need to develop to develop all these types of strengths, and we need to do it, not necessarily evenly, but specific to the sport. Okay. And with where I've been at in my career and working with high level high school kids, college kids, and pros, but younger pros like Dex's was on the young end. He's 25 yeah. when he came to me. Um, we're not at a point where we need to push one 
at expense of the other yet because they don't have that base of incredible strength where that would matter um so we build evenly but if i were to take a guy like sim simian rotier when he comes you know when he gets to that level right now he's just level one uh just working into it still because he's an older guy right it takes a longer time got takes time to warm that engine up you know exactly um but like when he gets to level three are we gonna be fucking squatting heavy weight every week and bleeding out of the nose no fuck no like that guy's gonna need a lot more recovery yeah than max effort work yeah you know what i mean so It'll change in that sense, but generally speaking, it's it's the same across the board. So we have our dynamic effort day, our speed day. This is when our build, we're building that speed strength, that intermediate velocity, 0.8 meters per second, rate of force development, the ability to move heavy weight quickly. So the way we achieve this is through submaximal weights moved at a maximal velocity uh, with very short rest intervals because the volume, or because the intensity is low, we can get away with shorter rest intervals. We also use this as our conditioning, uh, so we never have to like sprint or anything for yeah. conditioning or run for conditioning. We use our main lifts as that. Um, so we're taking 50 to 60% of our one rep max in the squat or deadlift or uh, bench press, although we'll get into bench in a second. Let's talk squat deadlift right now. So 50 to 60% of our one rep max plus 25% band tension uh, or chain weight, but I tend to bands because of the over, over speed eccentrics effect of them. Um, and we're doing in the squats anywhere from eight doubles to five sets of four, generally five sets of four because we kind of, I get backlogged with athletes and we can push them through faster with five by four. Yeah. Um, an eight by two is a lot of, a lot of setup and a lot more chance for athletes to fuck up their setup. Gotcha. You know, it's great for powerlifting because we have to practice that setup. The more we can practice it, the better. Yeah. Uh, but with athletes, they'll tend to get in their own head and they're also, you know, this is just a part of their day. Like Dex has, yes, he has squats right now, but in three hours he's got to go to his physio and then he's got to go see his sprint coach and that, you know, he doesn't need that practice on racking the bar. Yeah. So the five by four gets them out of the squats, gets them through the squats quicker, gets them on the deadlifts faster so we can get more athletes through, yeah. generally speaking. Um, if we're five by four, we're about 30 to 45 second rest interval on the squats. Uh, then they're off to deadlift. Um, no rest interval between squats and deadlifts. Like the deadlifts are set up, ready to go. Yeah. So whatever we're doing for squats, if it's 30 seconds, you've got 30 seconds from the time your last squat is racked to your first deadlift. Okay. Um, and then we're generally... It varies. Um, right now, we're doing a lot of singles, so we'll do eight singles in the deadlift. Um, but sometimes we'll push volume in the deadlift, so we'll do uh, three weeks. Of, or we'll do a three-week wave where we're ten triples week one, eight triples week three, six triple or eight triples week two, six triples week three, and then we drop it down eight triples week one. Uh, or sorry, ten doubles week one, eight doubles week two, eight singles week three, and then six triples week one, six doubles week two, six singles week one. Okay. And run that nine-week wave back. Um, that'll push the deadlift up, but I find at the expense of athletes. You know, okay. It just takes it out of them. 30 deadlifts is a lot in a workout, mm -hmm. uh, especially considering the volume they do after. So uh, we kind of cut that back. I, I prefer the eight eight singles that we do. We don't do a ton of volume deadlift work anymore. Yeah. Uh, just kind of a shock to the system once in a while. I also like to couple an iso pull uh, with that single deadlift. So do an ISO pull and then within 10 seconds do your pull, do your deadlift and the body is going to, you'll have more power through your sticking point because your body thinks it's going to hit the rack again. Gotcha. And you'll have to fight through. Uh, so we use that to build our uh, speed strength. Then in the bench, the recommendations again would be 50 to 60%, although I found through experience in my training and athletes training, the bench gets so ridiculously big. Like you were benching 455 when you left for Ottawa. Yeah. Right? Half of 455 is too... 25-ish, 230-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood. Neither of us are fucking math scholars. Half of 225 is hard to move really fucking fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you take half of 225 and add 25% of it in band tension, it's tough to go 0.8 meters per second because there is not as much behind the bench press. you got your whole body behind a squat, yeah. so it's not a lot for your body to move 50% of your squat. Bench is a different monster. I find the lower, even as low as 30% on the bench seems to work. Yeah. I find bench training velocity more than than heavy weight God helps yeah. I found that even when we were doing it together you would there would be times when you were doing percentages that you that I would even drop lower than that yeah you know what I mean yeah because it's all about the bar speed 100% that, that's what I'm really looking at the percent gives me a good idea where to start but I evaluate each set no, that's too slow. Yeah. Take some weight off. That flew. Put some more weight on. Because understand, you can't produce a great amount of force of force against a light weight. Yes. Right? That's why you can throw a wiffle ball at a window a hundred times, never break it, throw a baseball once, and you shatter the window. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, there's just not enough 
wait to make the time under tension long enough to develop force against that object. Okay. It's too late. It happened too fast, so you couldn't generate enough force. Okay. Um, so that's that's sort of if it's moving too fast, that's a bad thing as well. Mm-hmm. Not, I shouldn't say a bad thing. We're now we're getting into explosive strength, but we're training that with something else. Okay. Right. So get that weight, get that bar down to 0.8 meters per second if it's faster, right? Or get that weight down so that bar speed comes up 20 meters per second. So that's our speed strength. And we're going to have to jump days here talking about these sections of the workout. So we are speed strength, uh, dynamic effort bench is Monday, max effort Thursday, dynamic squats and pulls Wednesday, max effort Saturday. Um, so they cross every 72 hours. I like to use the dynamic work as a primer for the max work. At Westside, they do it the other way. They do max work, then 72 hours later, dynamic work. Okay. I think it depends on where you fall in the continuum, whether you're more explosive than you are strong or you're stronger than you are explosive. Yeah. For me, I was always stronger than I was explosive. So I found that doing that dynamic every day and being explosive 72 hours before max forced me to be explosive or reminded me to be explosive come yeah. max time. Um, I talked about this in an IGTV video this week. If I had a guy like Fenning who was training with me, which sucks for him because he's training with me, so he has to do what I do because I'm not making you a program too. Yeah. Right? You're with me, motherfucker. Sucks to be you. <laughs> um, but he was more explosive than he was strong. Still freakishly strong. Yeah. But it's just we achieved our strength in different ways. We would squat the same weight. His would fly and pop off his shoulders. I'd grind it out. Yeah. Kind of thing, right? Exactly. Um, it's just it, it not neither way is better than the other. It's just how people are. It's how you're born. It's how your genetic... Um, muscle fiber counted, you know what I mean? It's, it's all these different factors. Um, but if I had a guy like Fenning who was more explosive than he was strong, uh, I would probably do a max effort day first and then a dynamic effort day 72 hours later. Okay. But that's really splitting hairs and getting into minutia detail. Um, I just, I, we just do the dynamic day first. That's how it works out in our programming and that's how it happens. <sighs> so that's our main lift. <laughs> that's how we build uh, speed, strength, and strength speed. I love it. <laughs> so we're getting in depth. Like, if anyone has a question, I feel like it's been answered right now. <laughs> I feel like if you have a notepad, you could open your own eats right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, and I thought about this while I was walking Dozer. I have no secrets about what we do in our training. I'm very upfront. I yeah. don't hide any. There's not a magic exercise that I'm not showing you. Yeah. There's exercises I'm not showing you because I'm not sure if they're good or not. I don't want to show them yet. But right. as soon as I figure out, like, yeah, I like this, I'm going to post it. Like, the, the secret is not in what we do. It's how we do it and the environment that we do it in. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so, anyway, after our main list for our level threes, we get into our secondaries. On our lower body days, again, first secondary is a jump. Or, no, pause. Hold that. First secondary is one of our triphasic emphases. 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 <laughs> I'm never going to say it. Fuck that word. Focus. It's our triphasic focus. So, it's a tempo movement. Uh, we'll do three weeks of an isometric, or a eccentric focus, three weeks of a... Uh, isometric focus and three weeks of concentric focus and then cycle back to eccentric yeah um, and it's some type of compound movement uh, this is when I like to throw in front squats uh, and weird movements like that zerker squats stuff that you don't want to go super heavy with um, or that I don't like to go super heavy with um, I think front squats are good to go super heavy with if you want to do max effort with it it just sucks because they're front squats and yeah boo <laughs> um, but uh, they make a great tempo secondary exercise because a lot of people aren't strong in the front squat yes but with the tempo you have to use the lighter weight anyway because you're either lowering slowly or you're pausing or you're trying to be as explosive as you can so it's naturally going to be a lighter movement so this is a good time to incorporate the more difficult higher higher level of experience lifts i guess i'm not sure how to say that specifically but the more difficult lifts basically then after our tempo on a lower body day we're hit we're getting into jumps to build that explosive strength um, so we talked about hitting our speed strength with dynamic work, our strength speed uh, with max effort work, our isometric strength come, or sorry, our explosive strength comes through our jumping and through our sprinting, yeah. and then our isometric strength uh, we build through our isometric focus with that triphasic emphasis um, in the secondary, and we also with our box squatting, with our floor pressing, um, and and different movements where we have that relaxed overcome by dynamic as well as static overcome by dynamic phases, we're building our isometric strength, right? Because there's a pause on the box as the muscles relax and tense up. There's a pause on the floor as the muscles relax and tense up again. Um, So we're building uh, our isometric strength through that. And really every lift has an isometric phase to it, right? There's a point where the eccentric reverses to concentric, and somewhere in there was an isometric phase where the force exerted was equal to the weight, so no movement occurred, but muscle action was happening, even though it was the blink of an eye for that particular lift, right? But that's another great thing about the max effort work is we, when you 
work up properly and get into those heavy maximal weights, that last one is going to be a fucking grinder. Right? Yes. Like you've seen stars when you do your max <laughs> right? So that's what we call quasi-isometric, where it's almost like there's no movement, but there is. It's just fucking slow. Yeah. You're grinding, you're screaming, you're puking, you might be bleeding, but we're going to get this weight up kind of thing. Yes. Um, so I find we get enough isometric strength through that. So now we have all four gears in our quote-unquote car uh, covered. And that's sort of how we build the ultimate athlete. And then from there, uh, we have our accessories, uh, which are bodybuilder-esque in that we're going after body parts. We're going after yeah. the weak points. So we use the max effort work to diagnose what your weak points are. So if you missed a bench at lockout, then we know your triceps are weak, and we're gonna, so we're going to hit your triceps, right? Yeah. If you miss your deadlift off the floor, then your lower back is weak, um, or, or your glutes are weak, or your legs are weak, whatever, right? So we're going to address based on how you missed, and we're going to um, hit the, those in the accessories so that we're bringing up weak points, and then it's just a constant game of cat and mouse, right? Just catching up weak points, because you're always going to have a weak point. It's just going to be something different, Yeah. right? So we're always kind of chasing that, and trying to keep, the goal is to keep the weak points close to the strong points, not have a massive gap. Yes. strong point to weak point of course. try to keep everything as close as we can um and then constantly doing that through uh, auto regulation communicating with our athletes after that two gpp exercises body tempering mobility you're out the door that's the eats method there we go ladies and gentlemen <coughs> i feel like right now you have been taught everything you need to know and if you ask any questions fuck out of here i'm <laughs> just kidding Man, I feel like this one's going to bring up a lot of questions, and I feel like we'll definitely answer all those. For sure. As For soon sure. as they come. So feel I mean, free to ask questions. DM me, DM Kevin. Um, they can comment on these podcasts. Hey, you guys will oh, see yeah. those. Yeah, 100%. Comment. Uh, it'll get back to me, and we'll, we'll do our best to answer it for sure. Um, this was a lot of fun. This was kind of a challenge. Kevin just told me one night. He's like, yo, next podcast, we're building the ultimate athlete. You're going to talk for a half hour straight. Yeah. You know, and it and ends up being. Where do we get to? It's about an hour. We're an hour in. <laughs> Holy shit. And I could have went for another hour. Exactly. I held back. There you go. So, I mean, there's definitely more. So, make sure you ask because you will get those little things that maybe he had to skip past yeah. because he didn't there's want to a, run There's for a ton hours. of shit that I do that I don't even realize I do. Yeah. Right, and it kind of like like teaching Dex to bench. I'm like, I'm I want you to do this, but I don't know what this is. I just do it. Yeah. Right. Like I I don't know how to tell it to you. I have to. I, I had to have Dexter see me bench to see how to do it. Yes. You know what I mean. Um. So this training theory and the eats method theory is the same way. Something is happening in here that I don't realize that it's happening, or I do realize it, but it's so. Yeah. Of course, that's happening that I don't even think of it or mention it. Yeah. So ask your questions. Right. Like challenge it if you can challenge it and make my system better fuck it that's good for me that's uh, a, that's a win-win you know what i mean 100 percent. i mean uh, when i think about my bench setup that led to me uh hitting that 455 yeah. it was mirroring what you did because it was you gave me exactly what to do and i was like cool i you know i push my shoulders down you know make sure i feel that tension i'm yeah. on the bar feel nice and strong bring it out and then i saw you do it yourself because you were you were testing your setup yeah. and I found an even better setup for myself watching yeah. what you did. Yeah. So it, this is the same thing. You may not have noticed to be like, Hey, this is what I do. It was what you did and me being focused and asking a question. Yeah. So if you guys have any questions, definitely ask. They're not stupid. None of them are stupid. Yeah, there's no such ask. thing as a stupid question. Just stupid answers. <laughs> sometimes you get those, you know, you gotta take what you get. Exactly. Um, so I'm, I feel like I talked enough, Kev. Let's talk hip-hop, man. What do you got? Okay, hip-hop. I am. I went down a rabbit hole. I went way back when, and I started listening to Chaos's old stuff. Okay, I still, went way back. We're still on Chaos. This has got to be the number one podcast for Chaos fans. <laughs> right? This I feel like it. no one talks about Chaos as much as we do. <laughs> man, I went back, and man, he was fire. I, said, I wish I knew Natalie Portman, which is newer. Uh, I went way back to, like, um, uh, you know, Joyful Rebellion, Exit, when we went way back, and it, he was, like, what he was doing at the time, I feel like was talking about, look out for what's happening in hip-hop now, and <laughs> yeah. he wasn't wrong, yeah. you know, so I, I, I enjoy everything he's done, check out Chaos, Joyful Rebellion, it was probably the Magna Carta, his unbelievable his masterpiece, piece, you know, so check him out, he, he's wild. Definitely an intellectual, talented artist. Yeah, I mean, Very for good. a dude whose parents 
were um, Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, he's were a, they? Yeah, he's oh. a very interesting dude, man. Like, he's a very... Is he religious? Guy. Does he, his music have he, religious he, Yeah, it's like uh, a spiritual... Spiritual? Uh, yes, I'd say spiritual. I don't think he's... It's like those white girls. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. <laughs> no, I'm a leader. <laughs> like, he, he has, like, a... It's about something more and a creator, and it's nothing to do with organized religion, which yeah. is really cool to me. That's dope. Yeah, that's dope. It's worth checking out. Yeah, that's awesome. I got to... Uh, I started... I did that video edit to... Saturday, I did that. And I uh, reached out with uh, with it to Don J, who's... A, I think his name is Don Jackson, his real name. I just know him as Don J because his music <laughs> is so dope. But he's a starting running back for the Stampeders. Don Jackson, I believe, is his name. Uh, but Don J on on Apple Music, Google Music, everything. His, his album, Jack of All Trades, one of my favorite albums ever, like just front to back, really well put together and really speaks to me and like being an athlete, being a coach, being an entrepreneur. Um, and so I reached out to him with that with that edit that I did and I was like, hey, I'm going to do these more consistently. I'd love to have your music for these. And he had no hesitation about, yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me get you those MP3s. So I want to give a big shout out to Don Jackson, man, helping. That's going to be huge in helping expose those those uh those edits to people right because he yeah. has a big following so i uh, definitely appreciate him and definitely check out his mixed or his not a mixtape it's a cd uh jack of all trades a full album for him and it's it's dope front to back there we go there we go okay so i guess <coughs> nothing to say but take it easy Just guys it and up, yeah. make sure you uh fire some questions this way there's so much to be said and so uh, much more to be said <laughs> i appreciate y'all stopping by man thank you take it easy